I'm going to ask you to do something for me this morning. I'd like you to uh, uh, just to imagine something. Imagine that you have, and maybe you have just arrived from Canada, uh, arrived in, to Canada, and this won't be very difficult for you at all, but imagine that you've just arrived in Canada from a faraway country, or maybe even uh, another period in history. So you arrive in Canada, and you're trying to learn a little bit about Canadians, and um, so you're, you're eager to learn, you wander into uh, a shopping mall, you, you head to Yorkdale, and you come across a store called Nordstrom. You're just wandering in and out of shops and just trying to learn something about what are Canadians like. On the rack is a pair of pants called Barracuda Straight Leg Jeans. And you're puzzled by what you see. Because the, the jeans that you're seeing there are, aren't just ripped, they don't just have holes in them, but they actually look like they're covered in mud and paint. And it doesn't make sense. You think, at first you think, maybe a construction worker has put them on the rack as a joke. But as you look at the description, you realize it's, it's not a joke. It says this, look as though you've put in long hours of labor or just finished painting your masterpiece in these ultra-distressed paint-splattered jeans. As you look a little bit closer, what at first looked like mud on the jeans is actually um, carefully prepared, uh, a a fake brown substance that they promise won't wash off no matter how many times you wear them. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, wow, these, I I understand this, this may be a fashion... Maybe these are jeans that very poor Canadians wear, that uh, can't afford clean jeans. These, uh, these brown, muddy jeans must be for, for people that, that can't afford the, the good ones. Then you look at the price tag. Does it really say $338 plus tax? Actually, that was marked down. They started off this spring at $600, okay? And maybe, maybe we've kind of we've passed that... Uh, that wave of, of fashion, and, and they're, they're trying to mark them down. At this point, I think you, you conclude, maybe Canadians have just more money than they know what to do with, that they would be buying fake mud jeans uh, to, uh, for $338. But then you learn that the average Canadian non-mortgage debt is at $22,000. And further, you learn that the average millennial spends more money in a year on coffee than they do on saving for their retirement. At that point, you wouldn't be faulted for concluding that Canadians are completely insane when it comes to their personal finances. And that's, the, that's my starting point as we, as we approach this. We, we are trying to look to the scriptures to gain some sanity in terms of how do we understand money? How do we understand finances? And we've been in a series for a number of weeks through the fall where we've been looking uh, at a 3,000-year-old book of Proverbs. And in this series called Ancient Wisdom, we're trying to say, what does God's word have to say about the things in our life that, that cause us all kinds of stress and challenges and difficulty? And would there be something in the Word of God that would direct us and give us uh, a sane approach to uh, some of these challenges? So today we're trying to talk about finances 
and how we can manage our money more effectively. The book of Proverbs is going to start in an obvious place. So just so that you know, um, we're going to look at a smattering of verses from all over the book of Proverbs, but it's not like I've picked and choose like the favorite ones that, that I, I thought would, would uh, uh, some, somehow cr- create uh, some message that I wanted to give. I, I just took as all, the, all the verses that I could find on money and finances and then just started grouping them into, uh, in, in, into the different uh, areas that, uh, uh, that, we could, that we could arrange topically to, to, to get a handle on what the principles were. So the book of Proverbs starts in an obvious place, but it's not so obvious in our culture anymore. Proverbs teaches that getting ahead financially still requires hard work and self-control. That without diligence and restraint, we will always struggle financially. That getting ahead financially still requires hard work and self-control. Let's get started with Proverbs 21.17. It starts by saying, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Today, advertising has convinced us that we need more and more. We, we deserve more. We have to have more. But Scripture warns us to be content with less. It urges us to have restraint and self-control, particularly with regard to purchasing. It's surprising to me how mundane the things that are mentioned here. It's not saying... Anyone who loves like fast cars and and big houses. No, it says anyone who loves wine and oil will not be rich. It's not even talking about barracuda jeans. The love of olive oil could be a problem. Here's here's why. At at feasts, people would put on oil as as a perfume or to make their face glisten. It was a sign of, uh, of celebration. It was something that you thought of when you were going to a good party. It was a sign of joy and gladness. And usually in Scripture, it's a good thing. But when that sign of celebration begins to take front and center in life, when that becomes the center of our lives, it becomes a problem. When joy and gladness, when the celebration, when the party, when that becomes uh, the thing that begins to define your life, then it'll rob a person of of the money God has given to provide for the rest of their needs. And and God is very concerned about providing for our needs. Probably the most famous example of this is a former boxer, Mike Tyson, right? When he he had amassed uh, some four, he had earned $400 million in his uh, very... uh, uh, celebrated boxing career, uh, and, and by the time he hit 30, he shocked people by declaring bankruptcy. He actually announced at that time that he was $38 million in debt, despite having earned $400 million. And people, like the creditors, were lining up and saying, what on earth, how on earth could this possibly have happened? As, as they began to examine the, his finances, they learned that he had spent $4.5 million on cars, He'd actually somehow bought a $2 million bathtub for his wife at the time. 
He spent, uh, they say, $140,000 on two white Bengal tigers. But then you've got the tigers, and, and they don't care for themselves very well. You, he had to then hire on a trainer to care for the tigers at $125,000 a year, and so on. This, the costs and expenses just spiral. Even rich people end up poor if they don't have self-control. And so the first, first step out of the gate as we address, as the book of Proverbs will address this area of finances, is asking, has the love of stuff gotten a hold on you? Do you love the latest technology? Do you love the latest clothes? Do you love to eat out? Does uh, that what became as a symbol of gladness has that become to define your life? Proverbs warns us to be content with less. It urges restraint and self-control. Getting ahead financially still requires self-control and hard work. The problem is that's not a very popular message for us. So we go and look for other options. And that makes us actually vulnerable to another danger, that, another danger that Proverbs will, then, will address next. It's the vulnerability to trying to get rich quick. Proverbs 13.11 says this, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Try to get it quickly like this, and you will find it flee. But if you gather little by little consistently over time, it will increase. So fast money is an illusion. You don't get rich quick, you accumulate it slowly. Even lottery winners have learned this. You've, you've seen the statistics, right? 70% of people who win big on the lottery within a few years' time lose everything. They, they, the, the bankruptcy statistics are staggering. Getting ahead financially still requires self-control and hard work. Now, one of the easiest ways to get rich quick today, I think, is through easy credit. With a credit card, you can pretend that you have money that you don't have. You can spend money that you don't have. But even 3,000 years ago, before anyone had even thought of credit cards, the book of Proverbs warned about the dangers of their misuse. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. What it's saying is that every time we borrow money, you're creating powerful obligations. And if we do so foolishly, instead of patiently waiting, uh, patiently uh, saving up for for things that we want to purchase, that we're going to find ourselves trapped by those obligations. We're going to find ourselves with obligations that we can't uh, live up to or respond to. I already mentioned that non-mortgage debt per, per, per person in Canada averages out at $22,000. Credit card interest rates are over 20%. If that's the case, and people are digging themselves into holes that they will likely never be able to get out of. Getting ahead financially still requires self-control and hard work. I've talked about warnings in Proverbs, but it also holds out huge promises as well. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 
What he's saying is diligence is rewarded. Employees that work hard, put in extra effort, will see a return. The, the word rich here, it isn't promising like Warren Buffett wealth. It, it's just promising a good return for, uh, for, for the work. But it's also saying that if you're showing up late, leaving early, and spending time on your cell phone that you should be spending on the work, there are going to be financial consequences to that. That, that diligence is still rewarded by God. It's, it's rewarded by your employer, and it's also seen by God what, what it is that we're doing. Getting ahead financially still requires self-control and hard work. So are you content with what you have? Do you have self-control with your spending? Has the love of stuff affected you? Or are you spending money that you realize, that's not my money to spend. I really don't have that money. Are you working as hard as you should? The first place that Proverbs will direct us is to go old school when it comes to our finances and our wealth. Spend less and work harder. As you do, learn the second rule of money management that the book of Proverbs gives that the blessing of money is multiplied through generosity. We actually get more enjoyment out of the money we have as we share it with others in need. So the blessing of money is multiplied through generosity. Listen to how Proverbs 11 shares this principle. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Now, we've already said that hard work and uh, self-control are key to gaining true wealth. The problem is that people who do that, who do show some self-restraint in how they treat their money, can get the impression that that money is mine. And I've earned it, I deserve it, and nobody's getting it. Can create a selfishness towards the needs of others. Money earned by our hard work can become sour in our hands. We can become selfish towards it. These These verses warn us that our attitudes towards money is crucial in, in how we will, what we will receive from, from that money. Look at verse 24. Someone who withholds what he should give only suffers want. When we have a selfish attitude toward the money God, give a, God has given us, we'll either be in need because God withholds the money from people who won't share it, or we won't enjoy the money because we're not sharing it, we will not experience the true purpose of it, the true joy and satisfaction of it. The blessing, however, held out to those who are generous is remarkable. Verse 24 actually says that someone who gives freely grows all the richer. God loves to divert money into the hands of people who will use it and manage it according to his priorities. Verse 25 states the same principle in more poetic terms. The one who waters will himself be watered. It shifts the language here to to watering and being watered to talk about the satisfaction that can be gained from, uh, from, from our finances. We can give satisfaction and relief to others in need, and we can receive satisfaction from God as we do so. 
That satisfaction is elusive to selfish people, even when they have a lot of money. It's someone who seeks to bless others, to use their money to bring refreshment to others in need. They will experience the refreshment that only God can give. You gather money through hard work and discipline, but if you see money is all about you and your stuff and what more you can get, you will never experience the satisfaction of that money. God wants us to bless others. So you multiply the blessing of money through generosity. Now, some of you believe that, but you think that this is the verse for people that have got like way, like a lot of extra money just lying around they don't know what to do with, right? This week I read about a man named Albert Lexi. Some of you may have heard of him. He shines shoes for a living. In fact, he's shined shoes, shined shoes in the foyer of the Pittsburgh Children's Hospital for 30 years. He works hard. He charges $5 to polish the dirt off of your shoes. People typically give him $1 or $2 as a tip. It's not a lot of money. And let's face it, shining shoes, he's not in a growth industry. This is not something that is, 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 uh, is looking to, to, to grow. But, but he works hard at what, he's, what, he, what, he, what he does. And he knows this teaching from Proverbs, that one gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. For the last 30 years, Albert Lexi has given 30% of his income to the hospital's free care fund. The free care fund is a fund that they set up to provide free medical care to families that are in great need. You might think, hey, that's, that's an awfully nice thing to do, but uh, you know, Albert's a shoeshine man. What could he do? 30%, uh, even, even doing that, like, what, what could that add up to? On top of the 30%, he's, uh, in, in, in there, he's also made the commitment that every single tip goes to the fund. He hasn't taken one of those one or two de- $2 tips, and sometimes at Christmas, maybe it's a bigger tip than that. He hasn't taken a single tip that he's been given. All of it's gone into this fund. According to the hospital administration, he's given just over 200000 U.S. dollars to this free care fund. It's just a shoe shiner. Just a man who wants to be generous with his money. Now, we need to say that it didn't come by just throwing in the, the, the dollars into a, uh, into a hat. He's been able to give that much because he's been content to live with less. I'm pretty confident that Albert Lexi's not sporting any Barracuda straight leg jeans this summer. I'm pretty confident that he doesn't run a balance on his credit card. He's, lived, he's learned to live with less, to be content with what he has, and to give generously. And so as we look at his example and the the teaching of Scripture, we ask ourselves the question, do you believe that God has blessed you to be a blessing to others? Do you believe that God has created wealth to provide for your needs and then through you to to channel money to bless others who are in greater need? Do you believe that God diverts money into the hands of people who manage it according to his priorities? 
and you believe that the blessing of money is multiplied through generosity. As you come to terms with some of these questions, the final lesson Proverbs gives us with regard to our money is that how you prioritize your finances shows who you truly trust. What we do with our money is more a question of faith than it is of management principles, accounting prowess. That's that's important, but it's first a faith question. How we prioritize our finances shows who we really trust. Now, I mentioned the Barracuda genes and the huge personal debt problem that we have in Canada. But reading Proverbs helps to understand where the craziness comes from, how we got to where we are today. Listen to Proverbs 11.28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. What does it mean to trust in your riches? The word trust here is the same word that usually gets applied to our faith in God. It's usually talking about Yeah, I'm trusting in the Lord. Here it's someone who trusts in his riches. See, we're supposed to trust in him. We're supposed to trust in God. But when we trust in our riches, when we trust in the money that God has entrusted to us, it creates, it puts us in a very dangerous position. We're warned against it. For different people, that can mean different things. Some people trust in riches by looking to money to provide their security. Here the idea is that the size of your bank account or the amount that you have in your RSPs creates a sense of peace or security with regard to the future. Or if it doesn't look good, a sense of anxiety with regard to the future. Either way, it is putting your trust in your riches, the money that God has entrusted to you for your security, the security that God has intended that we would seek in him. Other people trust in riches by finding their self-worth in their money. Here, money becomes a means to show people how successful you are, show people that you've arrived, that you've made it, that you've got, you're, you're someone to be taken seriously. Some people look to money to to accomplish that. And when they're doing that, they are putting their trust in riches, putting their trust in money to meet their needs for self-worth, meet their needs for affirmation and acceptance and a sense of significance. And God says, none of those desires is wrong in themselves, but you're not supposed to be finding them in money. That's That's a dangerous path to be finding those to be meeting those needs you were intended to meet those needs in me and i called you to come to come and to worship me god says have you subtly begun to trust in riches have you begun to pin your hopes on money are you looking to for money to accomplish what only god can do sam polk describes what this meant in his life Sam Polk was just 30 years old. He had, in an eight-year career as a trader on Wall Street by that point, he'd already earned $5 million just in his bonuses. By age 25, he was already starting to live it up. He said, it was an easy thing for me to go to a World Series game, which for a lot of people was like a dream. 
I had a tremendous feeling of importance and power. At age 30, he quit his job on Wall Street and went to work for a hedge fund company, and it only got worse. Now he was surrounded by billionaires. He said, he said this. It was in a New York Times uh, article. He wrote this. Now working elbow to elbow with billionaires, I'd think how my colleagues could buy Micronesia if they wanted to or become the mayor of New York City. They didn't just had, have money, they had power. Senators came to their offices. They were royalty. I came to realize that I'd been using money as this thing that would quell all my fears. So I had this belief that maybe someday I would get enough money that I would no longer be scared, that I would feel successful. And one of the things I learned on Wall Street was no matter how much money I made, the money was never going to do it. Sam Polk was experiencing that hollow and dangerous feeling of putting your trust in the money, of looking for it to do what only God was intended to do in our lives. It's not the size of the figures. This is, it's an extreme story. I realize that. But but Sam's problem was not, not that he made $5 million in bonuses, but that it was never enough and that he looked for it, looked to it, to find his sense of importance and his sense of success, his sense of significance. Proverbs urges us to put our trust in God instead. Proverbs 18 puts it like this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. By contrast, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, like a high wall in his imagination. See, the person in verse 11 sees his money as his strong city. It's what he believes will protect and affirm him. It's what he looks to as his accomplishment. This is what I have done. This is what I have made. This is where I find my refuge. This is where I find my sense of uh, accomplishment myself. It's what he hopes will impress others and secure the future. But the verse warns that it's like a high wall in his imagination. That means that the only protection is in your head. That it really doesn't provide what so many people believe it will provide. By contrast, verse 10 teaches that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. It's him that we are to find our strong walled city. He is to be our refuge. He is to be the one that we look to for our acceptance and our our significance. When we put our trust fully in God, he provides the things that we can't find in money. He is our security. He is our strength. And that's the biggest reason that Canadians today have a $22,000 per person personal debt. Worshiping the wrong God looking to money to provide what only God was intended to give. And the way back doesn't just start with a new budget, although I would be the first one to recommend one. Yes, drop a new budget, but do something first. Before you drop the new budget, examine your heart for the why. What is motivating those Barracuda jeans? And what is motivating that $22,000 personal debt? 
And as you examine your heart, if you realize that you have been worshiping money, if you have, in, in a sense, put your hope in money to accomplish something that only God was, would provide, then the first step is not drawing the budget. The first step is repenting of who you've been worshiping, who you've been putting your trust in. To repent of the trust that we put in money and to put it, insta- in, put it instead in God himself. Now, because the temptation of trust in money is so strong and the danger is so great, there's a theme that runs throughout Scripture to try and address this. The way we break the power of money's hold on our hearts and affirm our trust in God is by simply giving a portion back to Him. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, interestingly and troublingly, people have used this today as the Bible's get-rich-quick scheme. And if you are tempted to believe that, and you've, then probably you haven't heard anything that I've said so far about money, because that has not been the direction uh, that, that, that any of these Proverbs have been going. The Bible doesn't give a get-rich-quick scheme, and in fact, it warns against anyone who would try to sell you a get-rich-quick scheme. So that's not what's being promised here. But honoring the Lord with our wealth is the first principle of healthy money management. It's interesting, but if you were here, the second sermon that we did in this series, Ancient Wisdom, was on Proverbs for your, for your decisions. And we looked at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on, on your own understanding. You know what happened to me after that sermon? All of you came up to me and told me, that's my favorite verse. I love that one. And you, there was all these, like, everybody loves Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what? That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Just three verses down from that in an application showing how you live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. I don't think I've ever, maybe you'll prove me wrong. You'll come up to me afterwards and say, Paul, I I didn't say anything like a couple weeks ago, but actually this is a verse. I have not heard anyone come up to me and say, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is their favorite verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Oh, I love that. Paul, could you preach more sermons on that? I've never heard anyone say that. Hasn't come up. And yet, please notice, look at the chapter. Take it home with you tonight. This is an application. This is how you implement Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's not the only application, but it's one of them given. You, you want to trust the Lord with all your heart? You want to acknowledge him in all your ways? Yeah, I love that, Paul. Preach it. I love that. Well, one of the ways you do that, honor the Lord with your wealth. Oh, I don't like to do that. You know, I, I'd prefer Barracuda jeans from Nordstrom's. No, we honor the Lord with our wealth. That's how we do that. In the Old Testament, the way people were commanded to do that was by annually giving God 10% straight off the top as an offering to him. And then they freely gave above and beyond that. In the, New Ten- in the New Testament, there's an even more radical call to generosity. People saw that Jesus Christ came and gave 
everything for them. And people responded in shockingly generous ways to that amazing gift of God's grace. Are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? The word for, the word honoring here in honoring the Lord is a word that often gets translated as glorify. It's a worship word. It it has the nuance of uh, giving someone, treating someone with weight or importance. Worship God with your wealth. Treat God as a heavyweight in your budget. Express to God how important he is to you in your giving. That's the way the scriptures say we break free of the insane hold that money can otherwise hold on a person. Until we stop worshiping money and giving God our leftovers, we don't break free of the insanity that often comes with an attachment to money. And we won't know the blessing that this verse speaks of. So how do you actually do that? How do you find the courage to actually do that? Final stop. We do it by receiving the riches that came at the expense of Christ's glory. We do it by meditating on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became marginally less rich? No. For your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus didn't just honor us with 10%, although that would have been wonderful. He didn't just give us his his tips like Albert Lexi did, although that was very commendable. He gave up the riches of heaven. He gave up the security, the comfort, the praise, and the luxuries. Later, he would give up the stable job of being a carpenter. You, You got a stable uh, a secure income from, from doing something like that. He, he put that aside, became uh, an itinerant preacher. And finally on the cross, he gave up his life. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have become rich at Christ's expense. You have received spiritual, re- spiritual riches and you will receive spiritual riches because of all that he's accomplished. You know, the riches of salvation, forgiveness, of acceptance, and joy. And it's all at his expense. So the scripture says, worship him with your wealth. See how the blessing of money is multiplied through your generosity. And accumulate little by little. Not through some quick scheme, but just through old-fashioned hard work and self-control. Let's look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us help with our finances. Help us to think straight in a world that seems to get money so mixed up. Help us to be content when advertisers keep telling us we deserve more. Help us to show self-control in our spending, to work hard at our jobs. Father, help us to be generous and to freely give to people who are struggling. 
And would you be gracious in providing for our needs? Would you bring relief to those here this morning whose obligations have piled up and who are crying out to you for help? Father, help us not to look to money to accomplish what only you can do. You're our security. You're our peace. You're our provider. You're our refuge. And you're worthy of all our praise. So help us to worship you with our wealth. Honor you with the first of all our increase. The reality is that no matter how much we give, Jesus gave so much more. And so we thank you for him. We praise you. We worship you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.